In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It is a real joy, a real joy to be with you on this All Saints Sunday, one of the most important days of the church year. Dean Churchwell and I have now set a pattern in which All Saints is my Sunday visitation with you annually, in addition to being with you officially on Christmas Eve, at ordinations, and during Holy Week and Easter. But I must say, it is also meaningful for me to be here much more regularly in an informal way bringing my boys to chorister practice, popping in for some of the noonday Eucharist on major holy days, popping in for midweek even songs, and sitting in the pew with Megan when I have a rare Sunday off. This cathedral is much more to me than my official bishop's seat and the liturgical center of the diocese. It is my own church home and that of my family. And I'm grateful to Dean Churchwell and to all of you for helping to make it feel so. Although, although um, some might think that I may be just a little too familiar here, um, thinking of one day in particular, one chorister practice evening after I'd had a particularly long and difficult day and week, a cathedral member was startled to see me napping in my car in the parking lot. <laughs> now, I assure you, I was napping not in my capacity as bishop, <laughs> but as just another tired parent waiting for their children. Now, let's turn our attention for a few minutes to All Saints Sunday. How monotonously alike all the great tyrants and conquerors have been, how gloriously different are the saints. So says C.S. Lewis in his iconic book, Mere Christianity. Is this not the opposite of what we sometimes assume to be the case? For how easily is our attention drawn to tyrants in their bluster, while assuming that the saints are the goody-two-shoes, the A-plus students in life, gleamingly dull in their perfection. But, as Lewis reminds us, this is not so. For the great tyrants in any field, be it politics, sports, Hollywood, music, or business, are monotonous in their selfishness, in their insatiable need to prop up their fragile ego by lording over others and humiliating them. Of 
course, one need not be a tyrant to be successful. Indeed, those who are most successful in the ways that matter most are those who use their God-given gifts humbly, working alongside others with their diverse gifts for a larger purpose, sharing credit generously. Those who do good often do well. And the saints are the very pinnacle of this selfless ideal, a life emptied of ego and filled with God's grace, a Jesus-shaped life, loving God and their neighbor to an extraordinary degree. That one thing all the saints have in common, love of God and neighbor, sacrificially at times, following the teaching and example of Christ. But in every other way, the saints are as varied as the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the plants of the meadow. For each saint is totally unique, from a different life circumstance, in different times and places, with different gifts, with different people to love and serve, and different challenges to face. And different personalities, too. Some of the great saints were kind and gentle, like Jesus. Others were prickly and angry against injustice, turning over the tables, also like Jesus. Every single one of the hundreds of saints commemorated in our Episcopal calendar has a story to tell, if we can hear it. A story of setting their hope on Christ, in the words of our epistle today, and living for the praise of God's glory. And we too are called in our baptism to live as saints as God gives us grace to do so. On All Saints Sunday, we remember the great saints, the heroes of the faith down the ages, who gave of themselves to an extraordinary degree to love God and their neighbor, some of them even unto death. And we also recall, you and me, that we are meant to follow in their footsteps, and in the footsteps of Christ, even when it is difficult. We do so supported by those who are around us, including those who have gone before, knit together in one communion and fellowship. And we find, much to our surprise and delight, that love of God and neighbor does not mean less love for ourselves or for our loved ones. Rather, love, rightly ordered, never fails, never runs short or goes dry, 
but overflows abundantly into every aspect and uh, relationship of our very lives. If we truly love God and our neighbors, everything else falls into place. And now let me come to the most challenging part of my message today. As we seek to live into our baptismal calling as saints, loving God and our neighbor, there are two basic practices that are essential. To love God, we must have some discipline of prayer, ideally a daily one. But some may say, I love God in my heart. Is that not enough? Recall the famous words of St. Paul from 1 Corinthians about love, so popular at weddings. We cannot love one another in our feelings without loving them in our actions. If I say that I love someone but am not patient and kind, avoiding envy, arrogance, and rudeness, then I do not truly love them. And if I say that I love God, but do not connect with God regularly through prayer, both formally and informally, it likely amounts to little. For prayer is how we open our hearts to God's presence, which is always offered to us. It is how we humble ourselves to receive God's wisdom and blessing. Jesus himself, who of all people could have skipped prayer as the very Son of God, prayed daily. If prayer is the basic Christian practice for loving God, not the only one, but essential, then what is the basic practice for loving our neighbor? Well, we could pick any number but I will say generosity. And not just because of the Powerball that's out there right now, that's <laughs> $2 billion, although it'd be good to keep generosity in mind if you win the Powerball. <laughs> I'm sure the dean would agree. Generosity. All that we have in life is by God's gracious gift beginning with our very life itself. And what we have been given, we are meant to share with others. This goes all the way back to those first Christians who shared all their possessions in common. And it goes back even further than that to the giving back to God of 10% of the harvest. Every year, the church asks us to make a pledge of financial support not just to support its mission and ministry, though that is important, but because we need to give in order to truly love our neighbors. There is not a saint on our calendar who did not love God through daily prayer, 
and love their neighbor through sacrificial giving of their time, talents, and treasure. And especially to the poor. As the Reverend James Forbes once said, no one gets into heaven without a reference letter from the poor. As our gospel reading today reminds us, in this famous passage, the Beatitudes that we just heard, God is unequivocally on the side of the vulnerable. While Matthew's gospel spiritualizes the message, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, and so on, St. Luke gives us the harder and more blunt teaching. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, those who are excluded, reviled, and defamed. When we give a percentage of our income as a first fruits gift, not just what we can spare comfortably after we've paid for everything else, we are not only allowing the church to comfort the vulnerable in body and spirit, we are actually taking a step in solidarity ourselves. Our sacrificial generosity is much more than a charitable gift. It is a sign of God's kingdom that is coming, a kingdom of justice described in the Beatitudes today, a kingdom in which all will be set right. What is a cathedral's purpose? To be the spiritual center of a diocese and the bishop's seat? To be a house of prayer and hospitality that welcomes all people, comforting and standing with the vulnerable, and to be a school for saints, where the baptized of all ages worship God in the beauty of holiness and grow as disciples of Jesus. Here, as we find inspiration from St. Paul and from all the saints in ages past, we nurture one another as the saints we are called to be. Here, each of us blooms in our glorious uniqueness while being formed into disciples who pray daily and give generously from the gifts we have been given. Our confirmands are being welcomed in just such a way today as newly committed Christians who are, in this commitment, no less themselves, but more so. Saints growing into that holy calling and into who you are meant to be. For a saint is someone fully alive, distinctive, radiant with the light of Christ, a pilgrim on a journey, and a citizen of the perfect kingdom 
that is coming. Amen.